Hello and welcome to episode two of the Give Us Time podcast. Joining us as always is Give Us Time ambassador Scotty Derrick and Give Us Time managing director Rupert Forrest. Uh, today's theme is World Mental Health Day. So we'll be discussing mental health and specifically we'll be discussing uh, PTSD. For those of you who don't know what PTSD is, it stands for post-traumatic stress disorder and has been around for thousands of years. It was previously referred to as shell shock during World War I and then referred to as combat stress during the Vietnam War. As of the 1980s, it is most commonly now referred to as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. In previous podcasts, we have touched upon this very, very briefly. And Scotty, our ambassador, is someone who uh, suffers from PTSD. It took Scotty over 13 years to get a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. And today we're going to be discussing how that is impacting Scotty and his life. Um, while we won't be talking about the specific incident, we'll be discussing the after effects. So, Scotty, the first question I want to go and ask you is, um, when did you first start to experience um, this change? Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, the change was when the incident happened, that kind of that was the day that changed my life forever. Um, I kind of I, I just knew from that point that things were never going to be the same again um, for what I witnessed. Um, and then. Again, back in the early 90s, as Rupert will uh, say, it was work hard, play hard. And it was a very, very much get to, you know, you had an issue, you had to deal with it yourself. Go and um, get yourself to the bar a hell of a lot and um, and start putting the beers down the range. Um, and that's why it was. And that continued. Um, and I just thought everybody was feeling the same, to be honest. I just thought, oh, this is just something that happened. So that was it keep my mouth shut and just kind of crack on. Um, and then that moved on then to 97, went to Bosnia. 97, um, Bosnia was feeling, I wasn't feeling too bad. I obviously knew there was something in the, in the, in the back, but nothing really presented itself as such. And then it was getting to the 90, uh, 98, I remember then being in Germany and it was, it was the land of milk and honey, as they used to call Germany, because everything was so cheap <laughs> and your fuel, fuel tokens and, and beer and everything else. And your tax was just, well, yeah, it was good. Um, but yeah, I just partied very, very hard. And that's when the drinking was becoming a real issue. Now, talking about drinking, I was at my height of it, I was probably putting a bottle and a half of blue vodka um, a day, plus up to maybe 12 to 15 bottles of beer. Um, and that was because I couldn't sleep. And I didn't know what was going on in my head. Images were starting to come up. But again, I thought, this is normal. Everybody's going through this, so don't say nothing. But then with the alcohol, again, too, as we chatted about in basic training, sometimes we don't know when to keep our mouth shut. Um, and with alcohol, that kind of opens up a few things. So then um, got myself into a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble, like massive um, fights, um, riots, basically, was caused uh, by myself, which I'm not proud of. And trying to function then as a soldier every day being hung over, that's when I went and started looking into cocaine. Um, so then that was that, really. And then the cocaine started. And, I remember just taking it was a little small bags um, of cocaine and 
wake up in the morning feeling like death, take some cocaine, you were back to being Scotty, the training instructor. And away I went. And then by, this went on for a while. I remember it was just before Kosovo. Just before Kosovo, I remember I was still drinking like this every day. Um, massively hammering it. I was up to then six bags of cocaine a day. And I still remember this point, and I say it quite vividly because it's nice for people to understand that when I was doing these things, it wasn't the fact of I wanted to hurt myself. It was the fact of I wanted to let the images disappear, trying to get the images to stop and to try and function to become a soldier. Um, and yet, and I, st I still remember to this day that um, the guy who I got the yeah, cocaine off, I remember I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't, um, nothing was taking these images away. And I remember going down there and he produced this little black rock and I asked him what that was. And I said, oh, that's heroin. I said, right, okay. And I said, what's what's that like? He says, all your, all your issues will just disappear. I said, right, how do we do that? And he says, I just have to inject it. I said, right, okay. So he first of all said, right, if you do it in your arm, I says, no, no. I'll have to be somewhere where I won't see any bruising. So that's when I had my belt on. I remember putting it around just below my knee making like a tourniquet and that. And then I remember the needle, the first time it went in, it was, it tore basically, tore my skin going into my vein, just up by my big toe. And I remember taking the tourniquet off and let, watching that kind of orangey brown liquid disappear into my veins. And then I suppose the word would have been um, relief. It just, God, it was, Without sounding like I'm an advocate for drugs or anything, which I am not, but it was um, probably the best feeling I've ever had in my life. And it was probably the best time or the only time that I wasn't in any pain um, from the suffering that was going on in my head. So that went on for most weekends, to be honest. Um, yeah. That as well. So I was drinking, I was taking coke, and now I was taking heroin, all as I was still serving as a British soldier. Now, I know at that time I could not go and ask for help because one, would I have got the support needed that's in place like today? No. Would I have been um, booted out? Yes. Would I be a hindrance? Uh, yes. And I don't think I would have had the right structure support to help me at that time. So that's why I never said anything. Came back to um, a deployment then for 99, as we chatted about in the last episode. Went out to Kosovo. I remember coming back from Kosovo. And <clears throat> I was like, <laughs> I've got good friends that are probably listening to this and will understand because they were, they were with me in Kosovo and they were saying I was an absolute nightmare. I was jumping over the fence at night to get out of Pristina and going drinking downtown to try and get the booze. I was then using some of the um, the AL liquid or the like um, alkaline alcohol liquid from the back of the trucks to try and drink. Um, alcohol gel is in the anti-back gel, that kind of that sort of stuff. Or no, it was like um, on the back of vehicles, it was like AL thirty nine or AL eleven. It was like pure alcoholic solution to go into the engine, of the vehicles, or the windscreen stuff. So what we used to do is take that off and put orange juice in it. Um, and then just drink that. But yeah, yeah I, I was starting to become a mess really. 
and no one really knew. And then I remember coming back from Kosovo and there was a friend of mine and he's no longer with us, God love him, a guy called John Ray. And John Ray was uh, a physio in Gutterslow and he was uh, an RAFPTI um, before he went to become a physio. And John had the civilian rank of major. And John was a fantastic guy and he kind of seen what was going on. And he asked me what was happening and John kind of pulled me to one side and in Germany there was a lot of things, a lot of cellars. And I remember being in that cellar with John and there's two camp beds lying on the floor. And beside one of the camp beds there was three buckets. And beside the buckets there was a stand with a drip bag on it. And I was there for four days with John. Um, a drip every few hours and the buckets were for um, vomit and other bodily fluids. Um, and that was that for four days, so that's how I kind of... Detoxed you then, so he just took you and he just took you down and went, going to start detoxing? Or... That was it. Couldn't... Um, I wasn't allowed to leave, basically. Yeah. And well, people call it cold turkey. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. It's the most horriblest thing I've had to ever do in my life. And even still talking about it now, I'm kind of cringing because it's like... It's an outer experience of you think something's trying to rip from inside to go out. It's just absolutely brutal. And that was the, that was a sort of um, that side of it of the, of the uh, the alcohol and the drink, and then but the the drinks managed to just keep coming back, mm. keep you know coming back into society and back drinking. The odd the odd occasion I did um, go back onto the cocaine, which I'm not proud of. But I've never touched heroin since that day. Um, but sometimes you do think, you know, when times are really bad, if I could just get ahead of that, mm. then those feelings would be kind of gone. But yeah. I just know that I've just rattled on now about for quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've got anything else you want to ask on that. I mean, obviously, the British Army's come on leaps and bounds since since then. Um Rupert is someone who was, you know, a commanding officer um, uh, for quite some time as well. Did you ever experience any of your um, your men coming to you um, with um, with this kind of um, these kind of issues? There, there were uh, a number of people who had issues, and I think going back to what Scotty said earlier, you know, when this started coming on board, we weren't particularly good at dealing with it. Uh, and there was very much a, a drinking culture, uh, and I think I think there was a sense that you know everyone had experienced stuff and and so on to different degrees, and all of us have different tolerance levels. But if you were in the bar with all these people, you felt well, you know, we've all done this stuff, uh, and there was a lot of medication going downrange. Uh, in the bars and that was clear and you, you did pick that up with with some individuals uh, and then yeah people would get noticed um, but I think it's it's very difficult because you know people are, are, are they've formed this huge bond on operations you know so they're very shy of um, shopping people who are their family essentially 
and they try and help and often that help is is doesn't doesn't really do it um but it does bubble to the surface and as scotty said you know there, there was a zero tolerance policy and and that that was it uh if you were caught you were out um and it, it was a pretty swift process too um so yeah i mean it it was a problem uh i think you know it is still a problem i think the force is now probably much better at dealing with it and certainly helping people uh with it but back in the day as scotty said you know that their support hadn't really built to the level that was required uh to help scotty um so scotty um this was obviously going on uh, when did you decide to go and um ask for help when was the moment because obviously i've only known you two years now and you know obviously i knew about this but it's very you know you know not shocking because you you know you would never seem like someone who would do that you know you're a very from my point of view very strong and structured person um which i think is something that you know ha um that i think is, is a big problem with men at the moment is that we don't come forward and we don't speak about this stuff because i think i think there's still these these issues of you know being the strong silent type and you know the gary coopers and um but when did you decide to go and you know you went i need i need um some help here one of the things we have noticed is we're very good at putting a mask on yeah we i put a mask on to hide things and one of the things i'm not proud of is we've become bloody good at lying you know how's things great how are you doing magic how are you change the subject um and we're all pretty damn good at that but talking about when did i actually ask for professional help i left the army in 2004 started working uh in the close protection married to joanne 2005 i better get that in because i remember that um <laughs> and um <clears throat> At this stage, uh, Joanne didn't know about anything less. Oh, wow. Um, um, like, jo Joanne didn't know. I, w I never felt kind of, yeah, obviously love and trust was there, but sometimes it was just better not to say anything. And it was all coming to a head, really was coming to a head. And the first time that I ever asked for help, uh, Joanne and I went to see the doctor, and that was in 2013. Um, <laughs> so I managed to kind of just deal with the last, so many years by just keeping drinking, keeping being oh heart and soul of the party. There's nothing wrong with Scotty, hiding behind that professional image of one a soldier, two a bodyguard. There's nothing wrong with him. He's doing this, but then, as you said, a lot of people look and say, oh, he's a big, big lumpy guy. There's nothing wrong with him. However, let's close that door and take that mask off, and a lot of people will see a different side. Um, <laughs> eh. And, and that's the first time I asked for help. And it was a friend of mine who, who works for BFBS and he was here in Northern Ireland. And he started to pick up on some of the things that I was kind of doing, becoming a little bit more reckless mm. when I was um, doing things. And he said, listen, Scott, have you ever heard of combat stress? I said, I haven't heard of combat stress. And he gave me this card and he says, listen, give them a phone call as well. So I did. And that's when I went on to get my uh, a diagnosis as such. I had to go over to Air in Scotland to Hollybush House, seeing uh, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, and they both 
deemed a um, PTSD and major depressive disorder. Mm. So then that was that. Came back a few weeks later, got offered a placement on their six weeks intensive treatment program over there in Hollybush. I was in cohort eight. So there was another eight or nine of us. Um, mm. We're all in this cohort. We had to go and stay there for six weeks. But one of the things I found was it was like um, one uh, one shoe fits all sort of approach. Um, this is what we're doing. This is how we can do it. But yeah, it worked for some, but it didn't. It didn't seem to work for me. And one of the guys, I just want to touch base on this. One of the guys who was actually on that course, uh, God love him. He was on my cohort. He's no longer with us because a couple of years back then he took his own life um, because the demons got too much for Mark. So it's it's still very, very, very uh, real. But then that was the start of it. Then once I finished that course, then I moved on to, to getting sort of professional help, like real professional help. And it's only just been recently that uh, the last two years that I've started working with Professor Paul Miller, who's one of the top um, psychiatrists in, here in Northern Ireland and the mainlander and teaches all around the world. So I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I get help uh, through Health for Heroes as well to go and uh, see him. And he's actually trying to rebuild a lot, a lot of things and put things in, into perspective for Joanne and I. And it's, it's not the fact that I'm just there on a session, it's Joanne's with us too. So it's not just, it's not just my journey, it's our journey. And it's acting to put like a safety net in place if something does go wrong as well. But then breaking down the mind that we can understand, oh, that's why that happened. That's why that happened. That's why that happened. So it makes it a little bit easier to kind of digest. But mm -hmm. yeah, going back to your first answer, yeah, 2013. So I've been only on this kind of recovery program, as they say, um, for about seven years. But it's only recently that Professor Miller has changed my original diagnosis to complex PTSD um, because of the multiple traumas that I've seen and witnessed um, is deemed that's the sort of uh, classification. It's not the fact I want to be walking around with a badge going, oh, wobblehead, nut job, you know what I mean? It's, it's the fact that you've you got to laugh about it, but it's, it's uh, oh, look at that guy, he's got PTSD. No, it's, um, it is what it is, you know, it is, it is an illness. It's a, it can be debilitating in your illness. But what Professor Miller and I and Joanne are doing is we're developing a, a kit bag. And this kit bag has got a, a bag of tools that we can use. So it doesn't have to get to that point of, you know, we're calling doctors and police here. It's getting before that, we've got things in place, you know, heart math monitor. We've got Modius. We've got other things. It's the gym. There's lots of, of other things, stages to go through now. And if things do get bad, then I just give him a call, really, and then we can go and see him or we can do this over Skype or Zoom. So Professor Miller's pretty pretty damn good, to be honest. I mean, one of the things I found, I find most impressive um, about you, Scotty, is that you took it and you didn't let it kind of, you know, define you because you've gone on to do such like incredible things in part of, you know, Taking part in the Invictus Games, that's incredible. Like, I mean, you've, you've literally travelled the world to um, Toronto and 
Oh, that's really bad of me. I've forgotten where. Orlando. Orlando. There we go, right there. Yeah. I mean, you've become, you know, become quite good friends with Prince Harry, which is, you know, did you did you ever, you know, think that would happen? I mean, you um, just you didn't just take it. You just went, you know what? I'm going to do something about this. Can't think Prince Harry. I can't thank him enough, to be honest. He's what he did for n- not the all wounded, injured and sick has been amazing. He put his head above the parapet and said, listen, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stand beside these guys that have got mental traumas. I'm going to stand beside these guys that have got limbs missing. That's when he first went out and looked at the Warrior Games program with the American forces compete against like the US Navy against the US Army, US Air Force. And then that was the Warrior Games. And I was lucky enough again to go to that in 2015. But then it was um, Prince Harry then said, listen, I can do, why can't we do this? But even on a bigger stage, an international stage. And that's where the 2014 first inaugural Invictus Games was uh, done. And that was obviously in London, as, as you're well aware. And it's just bounced on. And it just shows you that having having the ability to use for a sport as something in that kit bag to get you onwards and push and yeah i wasn't very, i wasn't fortunate enough to actually stand on the podium and medal um with my sort of um lifts or throws that i did but what i did do was show that an 18 and a half stone lump of a man can can actually put his hand up and say listen i've 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 got a mental illness I'm trying to do something about it. And I just wanted to just say, listen, if, as I said, none of us ever want a hand out. We just wanted a hand up. And I said that at the give us time um, function. And it's something that I say all the time. Going back to His Royal Highness. I, I, I can't. Prince Harry's at a level where I'll, I'll, I'll never forget his sort of um, what, what he just did for, not just for me, but for thousands, thousands of men and women not just in this country, but in the world, he's actually basically said, I'm going to stand beside you. And people demanded two tours of Afghanistan. He's, um, he's done lots. He brought, um, he's a fantastic guy. Um, I, I agree. And, and, and I wish him all the success in the world, to be honest. And I just hope his little <laughs> boy is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Scotty, one of the great things about Invictus is um, that they get the families involved. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if you wanted to say anything about the importance of families, because, you know, I've had the privilege to meet your lovely wife and um, we've had a laugh together. But, uh, you know, families, uh, from what I've seen uh, in my limited experience, are just so important in this process. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, Rupert. And that was something I was going to jump into without having that structure or a great foundation behind you. Um, it's like anything, if you don't have a good foundation, you can't build a house on it or it's, it's, it's not going to work. And having that family connection and having a good, strong family connection is absolutely paramount. And this is why one of the things that I wanted to, to get involved with Give Us Time, because I think it's what the charity does is, is very, very special about getting men and women away. I've been very lucky, fortunate to get away on a break where Joanne and I and um, we could just sit and discuss our future together in a calm, relaxed and peaceful place. Um, and that's why I wanted to give back, one, to give us time, and two, to try and 
inspire others to say, listen, it's all right. It's all right to ask for help. It's all right to put your hand up and ask for help. You know, and there is people out there who will want to stand beside you, like Prince Harry, like myself, like you guys. You know, it's, um, yeah, f family life is key. Uh, without a good family, um, I do think people would, would, would really struggle. And I'm very, very lucky and fortunate that I've got Joanne. And that's another thing as well, is your honesty about it. I think uh, one of the problems we have, as we did touch about, and you spoke about as well, is this mask that um, obviously it, it's, it's both genders that do it, you know, but men especially, um, we do, um, we do um, to have a, have a t t tendency to, to just pretend like everything's okay. Um, I do, but I mean, Rupert, you were, I guess you were in the military for longer and, um, obviously uh, a higher a higher rank as well so you had more of a, a, view, a view of it all I mean what's your um, experience of it you know in terms of mental health and you know um well it's, it's interesting and, and um I, so I don't have the sort of depth of knowledge that Scotty's got but you know I, I think one of the interesting things for me is that you know it tends to be all right and this this Scotty, Scotty will either back me up or shoot me down because he's nosy can. Uh, one of the, one of the things about this is there tends to be quite a big interval between uh, people getting the onset and the effect, and actually crying for help. And I think uh, currently one of the issues that we see is that it's veterans who've actually left the military who then come forward rather than people in the military. And I think, and we were talking about family earlier, I think a lot of this, and I'm not a psychologist, um, you can probably tell, um, but one of the things about this is you have the military family. You've got your comrades around you, your, you know, your section, your, your, your half, so whatever, whatever organization you're in, you've got your mates. You know, and it may be in the couple's mess, science mess, that it doesn't matter. But you've got this family of friends and your wife and family, if you're married, lots of guys aren't. But if they are married, they have their friends as well. Because in the old system anyway, you know, you live on a patch and and it's all people with shared experience. And then you leave the armed forces. And I think, you know, initially there's a you knew who you were. Uh, you knew what you were doing and you had your mates. You're separated from your mates. You're pretty uncertain about what you're going to do. And actually your family's in the same situation. It's a sort of, and I think that brings out or exacerbates the, the issue. And that's when people, because of the additional stresses, if you like, sort of going, and then they don't have a mate they can turn to because they're 200 miles down the road uh, in the last base. And yeah, with modern technology, you can zoom, but actually that sort of personal thing, and Scotty, jump in any time, that sort of personal thing's easier done face to face. And dare I say it, perhaps over a point where you go, mate, I've got to tell you something. <laughs> Yeah. And actually what I've found dealing with people is is generally when they go, you know, I'm gonna tell you something, your mate already knows. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you are absolutely right there, Rupert. And then going back to your first point, there was a study that says it can take up to up to fourteen years 
from incident to coming forward to say that there is a, uh, an issue or a problem. And one of the things you were chatting about there really struck a chord was when you're in the mob, you get, you're actually a little bit institutionalised um, yeah. in a way that you get three meals a day, you get told what to wear, where to go and what you're doing. Um, so people who have not had the experience of being uh, incarcerated for any period of time, it's something very similar. Um, but that, that's what it is. And again, to your chatting there, Rupert, about going for a pint or sitting there with a mate, one of the things I find is when someone calls out the blue um, or even a text, how you doing, buddy? Or even someone will just come and even just sit or go a walk with you or you just know that you're not on your own. Mm. And that is one of the, the, the great things. Um, and one of the things we've kind of lost in the military is that little bit to reach out and, and speak. And, I, and I, people say, oh, ping me if you need me or text me if you need me. One of the th we're not going to text someone, you know what I mean? But then it just takes that someone special, a friend, a relative to just pick up the phone and go, huh, I wonder how Scotty's doing. How you doing, pal? And you could be having a real stinker. And ding, the text message goes, ah, someone actually is a little bit invested in me here. Someone's interested in me. Oh, there is a, there is quite a reason and a bit of hope to actually keep getting better or keep kind of moving on. And that's one thing I, I do quite a lot. And I text and speak to people on a, on a daily basis. And I've sent Alex a few pieces before of trying to get um, guys who have looked at the Give Us Time page and just contacted me and said oh my friend or my wife or and I've tried to give them the best sort of help and advice that I can because as, as like you Robert we're not um, psychiatrists but <laughs> we could probably talk like one I suppose but um, <laughs> um, we're, we're certain, certainly not one but it's it's having that someone you can sit with and say listen you're not on your own mate but I can I can stand by beside you and help you maybe through this process like Prince Harry did for all of us who basically put his head above the parapet and said, listen, these guys aren't broken. These guys aren't um, damaged. Yeah, we can, they're exact same as everybody else and they're as able as anybody else, but there's just certain um, things that we just need to put in place yeah. and, and, and and fair play to them for doing that. But yeah, yeah absolutely. I was going to ask you, um, speaking about family, uh, Scotty, how much of an impact did um, Joanne have um, on this? Obviously, you did a lot of it, you know, but what was the impact on her in your life to kind of, did she have any impact at all for you to be like, right, I'm going to sort, where, where, whatever, this is at, whatever this is going on, I'm going to sort this out? Yeah, yeah. Very, very. Very good question there, Alex. And um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, without having Joanne, um, having that support and guide, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, do, you, do, you, do you really think that? Do you, do you think? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and there's been times, and I said it when I was chatting to the Give Us Time Do, there's been periods of self-harm um, mm -hmm. where I've, I've hurt myself. And again, it's not the fact of, I want to feel the pain um, or I wanted to injure myself. It's the fact of I want the images and the pain to stop. And that's just one of the outlets that we I, I used. Yeah, there's mm. been multiple attempts to take my own life as well. Yeah. Um, but the fallback on all that was 
what was the main reason why um, you didn't go through it? And yeah. the answer would be Joanne. Um, yeah. And that's why Rupert was saying how family, mm. absolutely, family is quite paramount. Yeah. And having that structure and support in place. Mm. It's very, very, and don't, I remember when I was uh, a, a young Tom, and I remember seeing all these family guys and doing bits and bobs, and I was going, cheaper, so look at that. Or when all this first came out of mental health, <laughs> this will never happen to me or nothing. Like that. And then look at that, bang. Now I'm um, a big chunky monkey. I like a good cuddle. I like a good cry. Yeah. And um, I can sit in a pub beside someone and I can talk nonsense um, like Rupert does. And, um, <laughs> and it's, um, We must um, go out. More often. Let's <laughs> go out more often. Yeah, absolutely. But it's just, yeah, family having having that input. And I, I'm, I'm not just saying it because we're doing this podcast, but yeah, if, if jo- Joanne wasn't um, there in my life or the influence that she's had in my life, then I wouldn't be here. It's very powerful. I think we are, I think the, the importance of family is, you know, is so true. I mean, I think again it's so impressive that you know you've gone from someone who however many years ago was doing heroin for the first time to now you're sitting here clean a give us time ambassador uh, an advocate for mental health um do you mind sharing some of your tips on how you um how you deal with it obviously i do know and you have told me as well everyone's ptsd is different um there's no there. I think it's like a snowflake. Everyone, it's all different. So, if anyone is listening who does suffer from it, you know, you need to go to the correct, the correct help. Um, but Scotty, what are your tips on um, how you handle it? Um, another good one for me, it's having that kit bag. Um, and luckily enough, I've had things put in place that we've got a kit bag or a, a risk action plan, basically. Mm. If, um, yeah. I, I take a lot of medication. Mm. I take a lot of medication to, it's like if, I, if you broke your legs and you were on crutches, mm. um, someone took those crutches away. Mm. But you needed those crutches to move around the house. I'm sort of same when having that medication to keep me at a sort of level where I'm um, a nice, you know, I, I, I can function um, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis. Not great sometimes. Mm. Um, there's good days and and there's bad days, but it's the bad days of when the kit bag comes out. As I said, there's a thing called Morius, which is a thing Professor Miller gave us. It's a it's a headpiece that goes on and it sends yeah. um, electrical um, stuff to the vestibular nerve. Yeah, which tries to do a little bit. I'm on. Uh, I use heart math monitor, which is like a breathing device in your heart rate to try and get yourself back to a nice coherent level. Um, and keeping keeping busy yeah i would say and give yourself as rupert says when when you kind of leave the mob during the time we were in the mob we had a purpose and a goal and as soon as you leave you kind of think what is my purpose now and i think we need that purpose because Mm -hmm. we'd never get out of bed in the morning like you guys, you've got a great purpose because you're helping guys uh, like myself and hundreds others who you've managed to, to, to get away in great holidays. Now, my purpose is helping them as well. But not just that, but try to be an advocate for mental health, mental illness, and say, listen, it's all right. Um, we can we can 
move forward. I don't think you'd ever beat it, and mm. I'm quite open to say that. Um, you can l- maybe live alongside it yeah. and be able to function at a level, yeah. but um, does it ever go away? No. For yeah. me, it doesn't. Um, I wish it bloody well would, but um, <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is one of those things. Um, yeah. yeah. But having the ability to, as I said, if, if, you, if you're sitting out there listening to this and you know of someone who you haven't heard from a while or just drop them a text, pick up the phone, give them a call. Ask them if they want to go for a walk or, as Rupert says, go for a pint or a coffee and just sit there and have a chat, even though within social distance guidelines, of course. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's um, absolutely, and I, and I think that having someone you know that's by your side is a big, mm. big contrary um, factor to that because you know you just then you know that you're not on your own or you're not um, you're not doing this on your own. Yeah. Having someone to say, listen, I'm with you, pal. That makes a it makes a big big difference. Yeah, I mean, definitely has some, some great advice. I mean, when I was um, speaking to um, my friends about this, you know, there's a lack of knowledge, I think, amongst um, people about, you know, civilians about PTSD in itself. And a question that was asked a few times in your in your um, advice, Scotty, what kind of, you know, what help do you think, you know, a spouse or a girlfriend could do to someone with with PTSD? Um, is there any advice that maybe you could you could offer? Once again, like I said before, everyone's PTSD is different. Um, but you know, just from your experience, it's a thing for it's a lot of things. Trust and having the ability to turn around and speak. Yeah, even though I never told Joanne, but if Joanne had noticed something, she would have probably said, "Listen, uh, Scotty, there's something going on," or I, "I think we should maybe contact this person." I think, but don't just go and contact that person. Someone knock on the door, make a phone call because that just gets someone's back up. I think. Yeah. Um, so have the have the have that initial conversation. And again, a lot of people are probably going to turn around, as we said, wearing that mask and being yeah. um, the big, big I am. It's, um, yeah, you'll put her off. But having, as, as, you, as you rightly said, everybody's trauma is completely different. Mm. And everybody, there's different triggers and things that will affect people in different ways. It's just the fact of if you've got a loved one, you care about them, you'd maybe speak to them and then try and get the right help at the right time. And I say that in a way that there's a lot of agencies out there who will just want But again, you think for a military um, person, you'd have to try and get that sort of specific trauma or area looked at by a certain professional. For someone else in the, in the general public who has another trauma, they might have to go and see a different professional. Mm. They have, you know, there's different professionals out there. And Rupert, I don't know if you want to say anything on that. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, and I, I, you know, I, I may get PTSD further down the line. Who knows? I mean, the only the only thing I've had that helps me understand it is I got serious blast damage when I was younger uh, from a mortar, uh, not enemy, but just got too close to a barrel, and um, so I've got this ring tinnitus in one ear, and until I learnt to control it. I found it really difficult. I couldn't go to sleep, and the sleeping pills didn't work. And you know, I thought this will go away. I mean, Scotty's been there. You've been on the range, and you get bing afterwards, and and it goes away. And it 
didn't go away and didn't go away and didn't go away. So I sort of went, well, after a few nights and down went, you know, several pints downrange. Uh, and I basically knocked myself out so I could get some sleep. And it took a while to, you know, realise that this actually was a bad plan. And um, I then went and sort of have, have seen the right people and and have an understanding of how I can control it. Uh, so now I live with it and that that's fine, but I didn't know how to before I had it. And I, th I think, as Scotty was saying, you know, th this thing of actually don't try and deal with it all yourself because it's too much and you don't know what the hell you're doing. Uh, and you've got to go and see somebody and, and go, look, this is the issue. Who can help me with this? And and there's help out there now. Um, I'm not sure the, the help was there. Uh, but, you know, everything um, Harry's done and many, many other people in, in getting people to speak about their difficulties it is hugely helpful, you know, globally helpful, because hopefully people will not bottle this stuff up and, and resort to, you know, trying to find their own solutions, which quite often aren't aren't the best ones and cause more problems than than they solve. So, um, yeah, I mean, Scotty's done a gleaming job. Um, yeah, my hat comes off to you, sir. Well, thank, thank you very much for that, YouTube. And one of the things I just want to touch on there is a lot of people in businesses now are getting more training towards like they have the mental health first aid at work courses. A lot of people yeah. are being trained up three, four days to actually see some of the signs and symptoms that a lot of people are facing. Um, and they've got different agencies who they can contact. And one of the things I was speaking to a gentleman who's a great supporter of Give Us Time is Dean Ross who has basically just launched a great initiative um, and it's been launched there in Watford and you've got a thousand mental health first aid practitioners getting trained up as we speak. So I think that can only be a win-win. And again, too, we must treat a mental illness the same as a physical illness. Um, and we've got to put as much effort and time into it um, as anything else. Um, my favorite, I was going to go over to Rupert and Rupert, have you got any questions that um, that you want to ask Scotty at all? Um, well, before, and before this, sorry, oh. I just want to jump in and say, yeah. Rupert, when you were chatting about your sort of, you know, that you might have later on down the line, I was thinking, did your snorkel fall off in Hawaii or, <laughs> or was it your slipper <laughs> stuck in the van or was it... Um, so bitter. No, no. Bitter. Jealous is the word. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we did have issues, though, because, you know, it was really sunny and, and all the sun cream came off when you'd been diving and stuff. So when you, <laughs> when you came out, you had to reapply it. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was a tough I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh. Uh, um, but yeah, Rupert, did you have any questions you wanted to go and um, uh, fire over? To Scotty, that's all that. Um... I mean, you know, Scotty, thanks. You've, you've just been uh, marvellous in, 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 in trying to get across an issue that, you know, is now front and centre for so many people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I hope that the people listening to this will, will just, you know, go ah, and pick up the phone. Um, yeah. You know, and, and for me, all of this and, and Scotty and I both talked about, you know, family and all. It, it's 
it's yeah you've got your physical you know if you're if you're uh, lucky or unlucky depending on your view you're married um but <laughs> you've got you know siblings brothers and sisters and you've got your mates you know uh and a lot of these guys young guys their mates are their family you know it's not just the uh, my mother and people connected by genetics if i can put it like that you know you've got real mates out there they will help too um yeah and i i've, I've you know every time i've had a, an issue with you know difficult stuff in life you know you speak to your mates and, and this is no different and then you know until you actually get out there and say got a problem you can't do anything about it so yeah just just get it out absolutely you know, and, and again yeah good advice and one of the things too with this covid 19 that's going about um if people if you ever understand think why is it echoing scott is sitting in a caravan at the moment <laughs> doing this and my wife's just giving me a cup of coffee i had to go away and get a test this morning because i've got a bit of a testy uh, chesty cough and um i've known someone who has uh now been di or been tested with covid so again too it's the self-isolation and again having that isolation is a big killer as well for a lot of people of but again you need to put things in place you can always be active in and around the house you can still mm. get out and do things Get some games, or if, if you can't get out, get some people that you can trust or locals that can bring some stuff to you. Um, but you're, you're you're never on your on on your own. You can always always reach out, as we've kind of just said there. But and again, too, I've mentioned it before. If people are sitting at home, going, oh, I haven't heard from Rupert or Alex, or I wonder what's going on there. Pick up the phone, because a simple act like that can absolutely change someone's life. Right, yeah, it's so very, very true. But but I, th I think, you know, that's hugely important. And thanks, Scotty, for doing it when you're, you know, because um, it makes life a bit difficult for you, say, waiting yeah. for the test results. Uh, so, you know, really cool. But a, a lot of people are uh, isolated at the moment and they've got the prospect of being isolated. You know, we don't know where this is, is going to go. But, you know, so if you know someone who's isolated, help them out and if you if you know you're going to be isolated yourself reach out to your pals because they'll they want to help uh, and it's you know if you sit on your own your mind and all our minds are interesting play extraordinary games you know oh, yeah. so you know and we're and human beings are very connected uh, and i think that's one of the things coronavirus is so good because it, it you know our instincts are to get close to each other and you know yell support or abuse at scotty say um, <laughs> just returning the favor scott and, oh, uh, <laughs> but you know it it's it's getting us because we like being together and we like communicating and we like doing it in person you know and we're, we're quite touchy-feely uh, as individuals so you know if we can do that virtually and keep connecting it it keeps us going as human beings and we're not sinking into our own little box yeah. uh, and it's important not to do that well i think um we can end that now uh thank you very much scotty um for sharing all that i mean i think you've given us all a lot of insight um if anyone out there is listening to this um, and wants to go and speak to someone or has been affected by this podcast, um, you can call Samaritans on 116 123.
Uh, that's 116123. They've got a 24 hour hotline open 365 days um, a year. Um, and uh, thank you very much, Scotty, again. Uh, thank you very much, Rupert. Um, and we will be back very shortly. Um, and the next uh, topic of conversation will be leaving the military. Uh, so thank you all very much. And uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>